Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. On this beautiful Saturday, October 29th, I have the pleasure and luxury of interviewing Dr. E. Scott England, who is a father an assistant professor of educational leadership at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, president-elect of the Illinois ASCD, and host of the podcast, Anchored in Education. Dr. E. Scott England, who are you? Well, thank you for inviting me on to Wisdom and Productivity. That It's exciting uh, to be on the other side of the podcast and... <laughs> Uh, just to, to be able to share a little bit with you just about what makes me tick, who, who shapes, or what shapes me, who shapes me. Um, but who am I? I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I am, uh, I am in search for whatever knowledge I can find. And, you know, I think that in that quest, it's, it doesn't matter that, you know, if it's about leadership, if it's about teaching, And, and to be quite honest, like lately, it's carpentry because I'm, I'm remodeling an apartment. I've never done that before. And so it's, you know, talking to certain people and what they've done. Just it's a I am I'm on a quest. Who am I? I am that. Uh, what is it? A, a night who, who goes on quests? That that is who I am in the in the search for knowledge. So tell us more about why carpentry. Well, so when I, you know, this is a new position for me, uh, the assistant professor at, uh, in Maryland. And whenever I relocated here, I was in search for housing. And it was still kind of at the height of or it's the housing boom. And so everything was competitive. Like, you know, you, you put in an offer and you're putting in the offer just to get into the game of bidding more. And so like you know, we could put in an offer that was had 10, 15, 20,000 over asking price. And maybe we would get into the bidding war to go on. But most of the time they're just like, nope, you're not even close. And so what I could get close on, I found this like two bed uh, condo and it was, it was affordable. I could jump right in. The only problem was it had been neglected for the past Uh, let's say decade and that's being probably generous and so it was it was a complete gut you know no no carpeting no flooring i went down to the subfloors i got rid of all the trim all the cabinets uh all the appliances i mean you name it i i got rid of it and but i <laughs> i'm really great at the demo side of things okay but putting things back together hasn't really been anything that i've ever ever tried But uh, but I I have now and you know, I was I was fortunate to to come across the gentleman that he uh, he helped out and being able to give give some pointers and you know he would tell me like I would send him a picture of something and he's like yeah no that's not what you want to do and he's like if you're around I can come show you or he would just you know text what I need to do so yeah that's I don't know that this is going to become anything that I pursue beyond where I'm living now. <laughs> there's there's some very talented people out there that uh, can continue doing the, the great work they do. 
in uh, in flipping and remodeling and renovating that's not going to be me <laughs> thank you for sharing that uh, i appreciate it so uh scott tell us about uh if you can walk us through your professional history up to this point oh absolutely my the the trick will be to keep it kind of condensed because uh my my pro or my professional trajectory as as you had called it um uh, you know it started with straight out of straight out of high school i was going to be a high school english teacher and uh, you know, things don't go as we as we plan and we'd like for it to but i only stayed in college for two years and you know i got my associate's degree but then I was ready to move on in life and I wanted I wanted to make money I wanted to get to work and so it wasn't until eight years later I returned to university to finish my uh, undergrad and in in that time I I was blessed to become a father and watching just the development of my son I still loved the English aspect but now I wanted the elementary, like I wanted to be involved in those primary developmental years. And so I became uh, an elementary education major and taught, uh, taught first grade, had the opportunity before I became certified. I was a one-to-one -one special education aide uh, with students, four students with autism and worked in a summer autism camp and uh, then became principal, superintendent, did those four several years and then the the pandemic really caused uh, I guess the time to take a step back and reflect on what I'm doing uh, my level of happiness um, you know my my health and and when I took everything into account then it was it was time to make some life decisions and so I was in the first year of a new four-year contract when I, I said no more and so I stepped down and went back into the classroom last year and taught third grade and had probably one of the best years in education that that I had, had I mean not easy it wasn't easy by any means it was probably one of the most difficult years when you hear when you hear teachers right now saying like the work they're doing is is hard and that they're tired and everything else yeah I, I saw it firsthand you know i'm fortunate and that i don't know too many people that can say like oh you did an entire year in the pandemic as a superintendent and then another entire year in the pandemic as a classroom teacher and both came with their challenges uh, and both came with both came with the rewards but the hardest work by any means was third grade teacher and the most rewarding work by any means was last year as a third grade teacher But, uh, and, and I was really looking forward to continuing the work. I was in a great community in Northwest Illinois, uh, Alito, Illinois, Apollo Elementary. And I, I had good plans to, to stay there. But remember what we said, you know, we have the best laid plans. <laughs> None always go how we want. So uh, when the position opened up at uh, University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, a uh, top 20 HBCU in, in the U.S., And, um, you know, they've got some great things going on in terms of partnerships, research activities and everything else. And they they invited me to join their faculty as an assistant professor in the education leadership doctoral program. I, you know, I had to go back and forth like I 
I, I don't know, it may be at home, like I had a pros and cons between leaving that third grade job and joining this, but this was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Wow, well, let, let's peel that onion. Wow, that, that's an awesome uh, story. Um, let me ask you, when you went back to college to finish your undergrad, yeah, how do you think you had evolved as a student? How your mindset had evolved from when you were doing your associate and when you finished your degree? And I'm asking that because who knows who's listening to this, who have gone through similar trenches, and uh, they might hear you and say, that's the way to do it. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of it, um, I mean, looking outside of like just the education aspect, like in that eight years, I don't know if it was becoming a father, just life experiences, it was probably a combination of everything. The level of maturity and how I approached studies, like I was a completely different student. Like, I don't know, if we went back and looked at my GPA at my community college, it was probably uh, pretty low, like maybe embarrassingly low. I'm not really that embarrassed by it because we know that GPA isn't always an indicator of, of success and of, you know, future what we're going to do. But when when I saw that, and like I'm, I'm talking it was maybe over two but under three for GPA and, and I defined myself by that and so I had sort of talked myself out like whenever I came across something that was challenging at uh, because I, I did I did go to a four-year university for just a semester before then I withdrew and went into the the workforce because if anything was hard, I would look at that and be like, oh, well, I, I can't do it because I have I have this GPA that tells me that I can't really handle difficult things. And then whenever I returned eight years later, seven years later, whenever it was, it was it was an understanding like, no, I just wasn't prepared. Um, I wasn't I didn't have the, the mental uh, aptitude, I guess, to um, to really be successful and and I think that is that's a big part of what the difference was from from there but then I also look at it too and, and I think this is important for your listeners to understand that I beat myself up for for many years and especially like whenever I finally became a, a certified teacher there were times where in that first year I was thinking you know I'm I'm older than some of these teachers that have already been here long enough that they're they're tenured and they're mentoring me but you know I'm older than them and so like I was thinking oh, I just wish I would have done better in school but then then I began reflecting back like if I would have forced the issue when I was 20 and if I would have entered the workforce when I was 22 as, as a teacher, by that eight years later, I wouldn't have been teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's important to know is that, you know, what I went through in the, in the eight years in the workforce, I mean, I worked, I worked in factories, uh, I worked at TV stations, uh, I, worked in a, I worked in a hotel at night, you know, briefly. And, and, but taking all of those experiences then shaped who I was as a teacher. I was able to better connect with parents. I could, you know, I could answer the questions to students whenever they say, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to do this and be like, look, I, I, I was in a factory. These are same, same things we're learning today. You're going to have to put in at a factory, you know, in some sort of context. And so I, I, looking now, 
I wouldn't trade the eight years and the workforce of the different jobs that I had for anything because it absolutely shaped my my teaching, my leadership, and uh, you know humbled me greatly. And it's just I'm so thankful for it. You know, so thank you for sharing that. It's so interesting because everybody that I have known that have had anything in between, they became educators. They 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 didn't appreciate it as much as when they became educators. So thank you for sharing that. So uh, one more follow-up question, but this in, 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 is like a trifecta. Uh, looking back, looking back to the future, what lesson you wish you would have known better when you transitioned from teacher to principal, mm -hmm. from principal to superintendent, and from superintendent back to teacher? Oh, that's that's tough. So I would think that my the one thing that I would definitely tell myself is to slow down, um, because that is that is the other thing that maybe I, I realized it too late. Um, once I joined the workforce, I absolutely loved teaching and I, I loved first grade. I taught it two wonderful Uh, elementary schools, one in Arcola, one in Salton. They were fabulous the people. I worked with the leaders that I served under. Amazing. But, you know, I always in the back of my head before I realized what, what was going on, I thought, oh, I'm behind the curve. Like I had always planned to, after teaching principal, superintendent, I had always planned to get my PhD. And, and I had it all mapped out. Like I was going to start teaching at 22. I was going to have my master's at 24. By 28, I was going to have my PhD. And, and you know, that the things that changed, like I was 28, 27 or 28 when I got my bachelor's. Like, you know, I still stayed with the trajectory. I just, the timeline changed. But, but I felt behind the curve. So I felt like I had to jump in and do everything right away to catch up. And... And in, in some ways, I'm thankful to have it done, but like I was in, I started my master's program that led to my principal endorsement um, after just being in the classroom for a year. And then uh, I finished I finished that program in December and in January started the superintendent endorsement. And then the PhD program came up and so I actually did um, a specialist at Eastern and my PhD at Indiana State simultaneously. So I was taking wow. seven and nine courses a semester. And and again, I mean nothing nothing suffered because I was I was just I was ready to just devour the knowledge that people were willing to give. But at the same time it really I you know I could have stayed longer in teaching first grade. And, you know, possibly it would have shaped different experience for me as principal. I could have stayed principal for longer and like I didn't have to do everything in the timeline I did. But, um, you know, that's I, I guess I'm not complaining because I'm very happy with where I am right now. But I think that's just important to know that you don't you don't ha you don't have to do it uh, as, as fast as what you think you have to do it. Like do it as it comes up. And uh, I think the other thing that I would tell myself Uh, looking back is that you're always going to have critics don't let that shape what you do like if you want to be completely you know ridiculous and dress up you know like I'm thinking of a time where um, I was a teacher and 
the school district for like teacher appreciation gave us these like fleece blankets and they were really nice and so like I took the fleece blanket and um, I put it around my shoulders and I clipped it with a binder clip and I found a crown and I put a crown on because you know, last name's England and so King of England um, and and then I marched with the my students in the in the hallway and the thing is to go back so it actually tied in to what we were talking about in, in our reading class and so mm. you know, it, it tied in but what what I'll never forget is you know walking by a colleague and I was having fun my kids were loving it you know they were engaged in what we were doing and um, I had a, a colleague whom I respect greatly but when she walked by she goes oh you'll do anything to get people to look at you and, <laughs> and like, I don't know how she meant I didn't really follow up but I know how I took it and so I kind of like oh I can have fun in my classroom but like when I go out I probably shouldn't and and so it's sort of you know, going back, like, who, who cares what people think? If you're in it for the kids, if what you're doing is for the kids, it doesn't matter what your reason is, just do it. So that that's probably one thing. Um, that's it, wise advice. Why, yeah. Very wise advice. Thank yeah, you. Am I allowed to give one more? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because Go for it. the one more would be then as shifting into administrator, I, I then... I flipped things and I became more serious. Um, not like a, like, oh my goodness, you know. Like an ogre. Yeah, not mm -hmm. not like not like that. Like I wasn't that cantankerous, you know, leader or anything like that. But when it came time for participating in, in something that was fun, like I, I still was very reserved. And I probably could have had more fun. I did loosen up towards, towards the end of leadership. Um, People give me a hard time about my my shirt and ties. That's just that's me though. I, I wear a shirt and tie, but it, so I, I can still have fun in, in a shirt and tie. But awesome. um, yeah, I think those are the those are the three things. If I go back, I'd tell myself. Hey, amazing! Uh, Why we do this? Let's uh, praise the Teach Better community. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So Scott, um, reading good books, as you know, uh, it is a fundamental part of, uh, I guess, making it in life. Uh, if you have to give two books to two people that you love the most, one fiction, one nonfiction, uh, which one would be uh, those books and why? You know, so what what a difficult question. Um, and and that like, you know, if if I shifted the camera, you could see my empty bookshelf here because I <laughs> absolutely love to read, but they're all they're all in the boxes that's back here. Um, so they're not on the bookshelf. But I mean I've got a four-tiered bookshelf full of books. And so being able to pick one and then and then to say one has to be fiction, one has to be nonfiction. I struggled with it, but um, so the fiction book that I would hand somebody would be The Sneetches and Other Stories by Dr. Seuss. Um, I have I have always loved when my my son was little, he had like the definitive collection of Dr. Seuss. It was like a book like this and they were all, you know, it wasn't your typical 30 pages. Like maybe the story was in three or four, but that's and they got all of them. And 
We absolutely love the Sneetches, and it has such a great story of acceptance and diversity that it's just always stuck with me. And you know, we don't we don't have to get political. I don't want to get political, but we we can't ignore where we are as as a country. And I think it's like collectively we would all better ourselves if we could just sit down and read the Sneetches and be like, ah. You know, at the end of the day, yep, some, you know, some look like this, some look like that, but we're we're in this together. Like this is a beautiful world, we're beautiful people. So why why are we going at each other like that? And I think the Sneetches is, is just one of those books that that does it. So uh, that's what I would pick for fiction. Um, for nonfiction, I had an equal struggle <laughs> in this because the majority of my books are probably nonfiction. And I, I mean, I, I recommend books all the time. Like, in fact, that was, uh, well, I just finished up a class here at uh, UMES and every, every day, every time we met, it was get this book, read this book. And we had one day where we opened up by sharing, like we all read these books. What, what would you, what would you share? And I wrote down so many great ones, but my go-to that I would recommend nonfiction book is called Turn the Ship Around. And it is by a retired submarine captain, uh, L. David Marquet, and a, an amazing story of him being prepared to take over a submarine. And then six months before deployment, they said, you're still taking over as captain. Oh, but by the way, you're taking over this class of submarine, which is completely different. He knew nothing about it. And so it, the whole the whole idea is it's about inquiry, uh, not inquiry based. It's about intent based leadership. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we think of the, the military, the Navy, uh, specifically of requesting permission from the captain you know, to do things. And he said, like, you know, I, I know probably less than many of you who have already served on this submarine. Don't tell me, don't ask me permission. Tell me what you intend to do. And it really has shaped a lot in what I have done. Like, I don't want to be the leader that says, do this, do that. It's more, bring me an idea of what you want to do. Let me ask the questions. Why, why do you want to do this? How will this, you know, improve student achievement, engagement, culture, climate? You know, I can ask those questions, but, but it's your idea. And then together we learn and we lead together. So Turn the Ship Around is the nonfiction book I would recommend. Turn the ship around. Thank you so much for that recommendation. Um, Let me ask you a broad question. Who do you learn from? (laughs) So let let me flip that back on you. And you ask a broad question. Let me give you an even broader answer. Mm. Uh, Everyone. And so let me let me explain that every interaction that we have either you know, face-to-face or even just in the same vicinity, we have the opportunity to learn from them. And so I want to take you back in a brief, uh, brief period of time, three years, I lived in Rochester, Minnesota. And one day, it was just me, I went to, um, I went to KFC. <laughs> and so, you know, when, when you hear KFC, we, we think chicken, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. in the name, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I went to KFC, I'm waiting my turn, and there was a 
I mean, I don't know if the, the right term would be distraught, angry. I don't know what he was, but it was a gentleman that was, um, I mean, just absolutely yelling and berating staff and everything else because, not because they were out of chicken, mind you, that's why most of us are there, but because they were out of macaroni. And it was like out of mac and cheese, you know, and there has never been a time in which I went to KFC thinking I'm coming for the mac and cheese, you know, like maybe they have good mac and cheese. I'm not even sure that I've ever ate it. My daughter probably has, cause that's really all she eats, but, but I didn't like, I'm going for like the chicken, but, but this guy was so angry because they were out of mac and cheese. And, and it's a, it's a silly story to, to look back on, but any time that, you know, something comes up, like I think back to that and it was a great learning experience. Like don't be the mac and cheese guy from KFC in Rochester, Minnesota, you know, because yeah, there's going to be things that is, they're disappointing or, uh, you know, that we're, we're let down. Maybe they even bring emotions that, you know, resemble anger and everything else. But then we got to step back. Like, is it worth it? Is it worth, you know, raising my blood pressure? Is it worth, um, you know, the stress and anxiety I put on myself because something that is out of my control anyways, it, it, you know, has happened. Like it, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, who, who do I learn from is really everybody. And maybe, maybe the conversation that I'm having with somebody, they're teaching me to be a better learner. They're teaching me to be more empathetic and not directly, but indirectly, you know, by whatever story they're telling, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm processing like, okay, this is a learning opportunity. They're not looking for a response. They're simply needing to talk. Um, I am fortunate. You mentioned in, um, in the opening that I, I host anchored in education, my podcast. Um, you know, I selfishly, I, I host it because I get to talk to such fabulous people, much like you get to do, um, with, with the exception of today. I don't know how you got me, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, you know, I, I bring in, I bring in these amazing people that they're doing amazing things. They have amazing ideas, just incredible knowledge. And, and then I get to learn from them and then, and then get to reference it out. And like, I feel like once I have a guest, I've made a, a contact for life that if something comes up, I can be like, Oh, I remember when, you know, we talked about this, I can reach back out to that person. Or there've even been times where I, I've brought up past episodes just so I can listen and be like, oh man, that guest was brilliant in what they said. I'm still referencing it. So who do I learn from? Absolutely everybody that I come in contact. Because sometimes, like the KFC guy, we, uh, you know, the people we come in contact, we learn like what not to do. And, and we just have to be, we have to be honest that all these times we're looking for, oh, I want to, I want to model myself after them. I want to, you know, shape my my leadership or my teaching off of them. But then you also look around, you're learning, you're like, oh, I definitely don't want to do this, or I definitely don't want to do that. You know, it's not, and it's not even, I think we we hear this. I don't want people to think it's negative because it's not really negative. It may just be like something you see you realize you don't want to do that because that doesn't fit you or your personality. And it's not, you know, like you could try like, um, flexible seating, I think is, is a great example for this, that there are people that nail flexible seating and 
you walk into the classroom and it's amazing. I mean, their, their rooms look amazing. The kids are engaged because they understand. Then you walk into other classrooms in which they're trying to do flexible seating because colleagues are doing it or there's an initiative in the school to uh, to push for that. But it's not it's not them. And and so they have to learn like, oh, I see the concept. This isn't for me. I'm going to do something else to maybe change up seating. But you know, to have it a little more structured that fits fits me. So I just, I think that that is, that is who and how we learn from people. Amazing response. Oh my goodness, I can imagine us one day eating fried chicken and peeling the onion of the mac and cheese, right? Like how often uh, people have a north, right? And we don't realize that they have this north. Uh, thank you for sharing all that. Uh, I'm, I'm so impressed. Uh, let me uh, follow up this with then who is or who are your biggest influences? Oh, do I have time to read the, all the <laughs> followers' names on Twitter? <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Now, um, you know, the biggest influence, it, it depends on the arena. And so, you know, like uh, Dr. Ryan Donlin is one of the biggest influences on my professional practice in higher education and i'm so so grateful for the time that he has given me that you know prior to even join making the leap into higher education like he's he's always been there for questions like oh i'm thinking about doing this you know what would you recommend or you know can you can you take a look at this letter of application to this university and give ideas i mean incredible incredible mentor super thankful you know when i look at you know different innovations going on and partnerships within schools uh and and just life advice uh, ken wallace i i have called and texted ken many times i'm like Ken, I'm, I've got this going on. What what can what can you offer? And sometimes it's a text back, and other times it's like, this is a little bigger. I'm gonna call you. And I mean, I know as soon as he says that, grab the notebook and the pen because he's just gonna he's gonna lead me to fill up pages of notes. Uh, when it comes to um, bringing about effective change in how you approach that, Tony Frontier out of Cardinal Stritch in Wisconsin. Uh, he wrote wrote a book, The Five Levers to Improve Changing. I totally bungled that title. Don't, that's probably not what the title is, but it has five levers in it, and I reference it all the time. Um, and, and actually, that is a book that I have loaned out so many times, and it's so great that it actually never comes back. <laughs> and so I, I then have, I, yeah. So then I have to get myself a new copy, which I'm, I'm faced with again because I've loaned it out yet again, and it never returned. So, but that's great because. Um, Tony's message <clears throat> on how to approach change really shaped, you know, kind of, I met him when I was, um, I met him when I was a superintendent, I believe. And, and it really like, there's a lot of times, like just very quickly, you know, he'll say, if you want to bring about student achievement, you're not going to get it by painting the buses brighter, you know? And And, you know, that, that's obviously a very silly one, but even the book opens with a vignette of if you're a horrible cooker um, or a cooker, if you're a horrible cook, <laughs> if you're a horrible cook, investing $10,000 into a brand new kitchen isn't going to improve the taste of your food because you're still a horrible cook. You're now just a horrible cook 
in a beautiful kitchen. In a beautiful kitchen. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And and I I reference that all the time when we have these change initiatives and we're completely missing the goal on what we're trying to change and instead we're polishing up something over here while you know really the rust is is that way. So um Tony Frontier there if it's if I'm needing that boost of you know this is this is hard work and I I referenced so many times when I went back into the classroom Chase Milky out of Michigan yeah. um ASCD author the burnout cure uh, amazing guy emailed back and forth had the opportunity to talk with him a couple times actually um I booked him when I was a superintendent to come speak to staff and then I I stepped down he still came and and the staff there at that school had the opportunity to learn from him but he gives such a great message on positive um just positiveness and then you know I think it's important you got to have a finance guy and uh Zach Stanifer out of uh central illinois he's the guy I go to he's not on social media he uh he stays pretty low but uh if you ever had any sort of question on how pensions work and everything else like he's my go-to guy and um and he definitely you know he's he's influenced moves i've made you know just in in my personal life on on what i can do so that's just a a quick snapshot of yeah. Um, it, but there's so many more amazing people out there that truly uh, influence. Hopefully, you know, later on I can throw out a few more names to you. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. We have some names. Check out those names. You never know if they might support you one day, uh, either in person or intellectually. So uh, this show is about wisdom and productivity. Let's talk about uh, that second part. As you know, productivity is a tool for success and the greats use it, but there's no one way to do it. What does it mean to you uh, and what can you share with us? You know, and, and looking at this and hearing this question, it's really trying to, I think the, in order to be productive, you have to understand you. Um, and so, I am a procrastinator and people always want to fix the procrastination side of things. But but a true procrastinator will tell you like you can't fix me, you can try. <laughs> but but ultimately, you know, I'm going to wait uh, until the last minute to do something. And um but but it has it's caught me more than once not not necessarily in terms of failure but in terms of unnecessary stress unnecessary anxiety and everything like that so understanding that i actually i just got an amazing tip from a student of mine of an app and and the app is called forest and it is a time on task app and it may not be for everybody because like it's you you have this imaginary forest and you set you set a timer uh, to engage yourself in an activity and it can be from like 10 minutes to two hours and you start that and when it ticks down and you made it to zero you get to plant a tree in your forest and it's just it's a simple thing like that's not going to engage everybody but um, what's very clever I think is that when I start the timer Um, and I typically do like 15 minute blocks because I find that I can work intensely for 15 minutes, but then I need, I need something. Mm -hmm. Um, but you start the timer and you have 10 seconds 
where you can back out and cancel that timer. And then after 10 seconds, in order to stop it, you've got to click a button that says give up. And like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to click the button that says give up. <laughs> I will. Even if, yeah. Even if I have engaged in a task that I absolutely do not like, I will do it for 15 minutes. So I don't have to click anything that says give up. And, and what I have found is that when it ticks down to zero and it pops up, like I got a tree and everything, I still go for another five or 10 minutes off the clock because now I have engaged myself. And so, um, it's done amazing things. In fact, I've got another class uh, starting in a couple weeks and it's a, I'll be teaching a finance class. And so I, you know, there's not any, well, I mean, there will be people out there that love the finance and I, I love the finance aspect side of things, but teaching it, like it's going to be boring. Um, <laughs> so the, the content is what the content is. Like I can't change that. It'll be up to yeah. me to make, make it engaging. The content is boring. My class will not be boring. Let me clarify. Um, but in order to get it to that level of engagement, like I'm not going to be able to wait until the week of and begin planning these lessons. Like I need to be coming up with activities. And so, you know, thanks to a time on task app, like I already have the outline and the, the structure of what this class is going to look like and the activities that we're going to do. And so I'm super pumped. To be able to share that, um, I definitely think. But again, it's taken me nearly four decades to figure out what, and and it, and I only came across it because um, because of a student that absolutely fears procrastination, and she recommended this app, and I I absolutely got it. We um, learn from everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, you learn from everyone because that wasn't even what the class was about. So uh, I think that that's where we can start on on productivity you have to understand who you are before you can start doing anything absolutely so uh let's go with uh, your email your calendar scheduling how do you how are you in that department yeah a lot better than i used to be <laughs> um Tell so yep absolutely my uh well i live on my calendar and uh my google calendar now the you know, I'm still working out uh, some kinks as, as you and I discovered this morning, uh, time zones. Uh, I've never, I've never lived outside of the central time zone and in 39 years I've lived in central standard time. And, and now for three months, I've been in the Eastern. Uh, oh, you just moved three months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I moved back okay. in August. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, making some adjustments there and, and how, and how that works. Cause it, it has bit me, a. A time or two but um, my email I I don't like to see the number of emails I have increase to you know like more than a hundred which I know that some people that's that's still way too much but hundred <laughs> kind of like my threshold and you know 50 to 100 so I have I, I, I use the folders that you can do in Gmail and I've never really utilized folders but, but now that I have started being able to put things in, like if it's with my podcast, it's here. If it's, you know, a dissertation that I'm chairing, it's here. Or one that I'm just a committee member, you know, I, I break it down. And there's times where it's broken down greatly, but, but the organization is just, it's amazing on that. Um, and then, like I said, the calendar, uh, I love the, what helps me and the productivity is color coding. 
and and knowing like everything that's gray is my podcast um you know red is a meeting that i absolutely have to attend green is something that i would like to attend but it's not going to be pressing you know i mean all of these things and whatever colors work for everybody else uh, blue is travel uh since i travel back and forth to uh illinois a couple a couple times a month and so uh that that's what i do for email and calendar and beautiful uh do we want to move on to the the next the next one is yeah i wanted to ask you yeah. uh um in terms obviously to to become a super i'm an aspiring superintendent at some point i aspire to being in academia like you in terms of productivity What advice do you have for aspiring superintendents? Meaning, how does your life change mm -hmm. when you are in that world of being the superintendent from principal? And in terms of productivity, what advice do you have for someone who's going to transition into the academia world after being so long in the school world? Yeah, well, I think that um, in order to have the best productivity, that it, it all revolves around the connections that you make. And in fact, uh, just recently on the podcast, I had um, the authors, I believe, uh, you've been through Aspiring Superintendent Academy, is that correct? I haven't. I, I was accepted one time, but then I had to uh, make a pause okay. for that. Uh, okay. But you're talking about... You're not. You're talking about uh, Lubefeld. I'm talking about uh, the unfinished leader with uh, oh, yeah. Mike Lubefeld, Nick Poliak, PJ Capozzi. So they were recently just just on, and in the book, um, they talked about shifting away from uh, calling it networking to connecting, and it's just it's a simple change of words. But like I can network at a conference, and I can you know I can meet somebody, I can have a conversation, but if I, if I don't remember their name, if I don't have contact with them beyond that, then I've networked. Connecting is being able to go back in and say, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I call you friends and I need to, you know, I need, I need help. And all three of those guys uh, at one point in, in my time, I have reached out with, with things as superintendent, like this is what my district's facing. Uh, what could you do? And they they're either they're able to answer or they'll direct me to someone that can better answer. Um, and so I think if if you don't have those connections when you jump into a position such as the superintendent, your productivity will just look like a spinning tire. And and you know we we use the phrase all the time of you know my wheels are spinning in the mud, but literally, That, that is what your productivity will feel like if you're trying to do it isolated. And so that, that is the number one thing. Like you can have the best uh, color coding system of notes and stickies all over your wall and all of this. But if you don't have the connections of people that have served before you and have sort of created that foundation of leadership and you know what you need to be doing, like you're going to struggle. And, and the, the same can be said as you make that shift into academia that um you know it's it's a whole nother pace um that at times feels like a turtle and at times you look up and you're like wow everybody is you know almost to the finish line and i haven't started so um again though it's it's making the connections with the right people that can say 
um, you know, this is what you need to be doing. And so like, I'm a, I'm on a tenure track for, uh, for professor. And so like going to someone that has achieved that tenure status and have gone through the process and be like, what do I need to be doing? Because, um, I even talked with a, another professor recently on one of the committees that we were on. And she said, you need to be doing something, you know, every month, every year to build towards this, because when you get to the you know end of five years or six years, whenever you, you know, apply for tenure, it's going to be impossible to look back and think, okay, what did I do in year one? And, and she's like, it's possible you could do it, but the only thing I'm going to be able to offer you is a box of Kleenex because you're going to be crying when you do it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that really, again, it goes into the, the organization bucket of productivity Yeah. and knowing, okay, I'm doing this and I'm going to put it into my teaching bucket or my scholarship bucket or my service bucket, but I've got to have them you know, separate and organized so I can kind of have it at the end, you know, yes. creating my dossier. So. so let me ask you one more question about that. So I remember when I became a principal, I had a sit down with my family and I said, okay, guys, this is how life is going to change. Right. So like I basically said, well, you know, that is going to be more time working. Right. I cannot imagine what would be the conversation the day I become a superintendent. How was that conversation for you? Yeah, well, um, it was, I guess it was one of those things I was already, I mean, really involved as a principal. And so it was just the understanding that just because I'm stepping out of a specific building leadership role doesn't mean that I'm not going to be at every possible event that I can within the district. So, you know, there was at the height of athletic season through the winter and, and everything else, like there was something almost every night. And so, um, but a lot of it is involving family. Like for example, my daughter, um, when we were in the, in the height of the pandemic and we couldn't have, but like 50 fans in the, in the building to watch our basketball games. And a lot of districts went to live streaming. We, we invested a, a great deal of resources into not just live streaming, but producing the best live stream that, that you could. Like we had a, a three camera set up on the ends and video switcher and live. We, we, you know, we were just a, elementary district junior high but we you know tied in the um, the scores table and clock into our live stream so everything was updated on I mean like it was the professional deal and um, it it took a lot of time investment but just being up front and then including the the family so like my daughter would go with me and she would you know by the time we were a month in it's like okay here's your two camera bags, go to town. And, you know, she would set it all up and she would know how to do the testing. And so, you know, I think that is probably what my recommendation would be. Yeah, you're moving into something that is, um, it's it's more intense. It is definitely something that will take more of a time investment, but it doesn't mean that you have to do it alone. You know, include, include those around you. And I think that it's important for your community to even see 
you are, you know, you're human. You yes. you have you have family. You're a father. You're a husband. You're a whatever it may be. That it's important that they see you out there. Like we are real people, and you know, it's just like uh, I saw a really cute video of this uh, of this kid that saw their favorite teacher out at a restaurant and like was absolutely just flipping out. Like cannot believe because you know, kids think that this is this is what we do we we live and breathe at the school and and that's it and sadly a, a lot of adults believe that's what administrators do and and really as superintendent i i didn't sit around all the time in my office thinking okay how am i going to change policy now like I, i'm human i i go out i i run i eat out i you know i attend events with my family it's important they see that so that would be my advice Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. A few more questions. Um, uh, you are in the 10-year track. Uh, you, I'm sure, um, have your stories about completing a dissertation. I'm sure you're now in um, part of your responsibilities is to publish something. What advice do you have as a writer uh, for uh, people that write? Uh, well, stay, stay in your whatever interests you. Um, and, and, and really look what's out there and, and see how can I contribute that is different than what is already there. Like we are, you know, at times you get into oversaturation of certain areas and, and, you know, maybe you have a, a great idea for a certain topic, but, you know, how can you reframe and approach that differently? that's going to engage from a different direction. And because I think, um, for one, it will challenge you as a writer and, and that you are doing something that is causing you to kind of dig deeper and going off what is comfortable for you. And I think it's important that if we're going to become well-rounded in what we do, that uh, you, have to, you have to become uncomfortable at times. And so, Uh, I definitely think that that would be a recommendation. The other thing is you just have to, uh, you have to know, you have to know you and your pace and what is comfortable for you. Because um, in talking to <laughs> two, two people I've talked to um, at times that have written and published several books, one of them said, when, when I write a book, I, it generally takes me about seven days. And, you know, I'm looking at the books that this author has written, like, you know, they're, how do you write a book in seven days? And so when I heard that early on, I heard that probably like six or seven years ago, I was thinking, well, unless I can write a book in seven days, why, why bother? But then that's not reasonable. That's just what, that's what they do. The, uh, another author that I talked to, um, he said, you know, when I have an idea, He said, I sit down and he said, I just sort of vomit the words out onto the computer and then shape it. I'm like, well, that's a graphic way of putting it. But <laughs> like, I completely understood what he's saying. Like, he just has to get it all out. And, you know, but, but again, so I'm thinking, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just whatever's in my head. I'm just, I'm going to type it out. Well, it doesn't work for me. And so it's finding what works for you. But I think that goal setting is, is huge. And I talk to doctoral students about this, that 
you have to have some sort of goal. It doesn't have to be a large goal. It can have a small goal, like maybe I'm going to write a paragraph today. You know, maybe I'm going to write a section. Those larger goals could be maybe I'm going to write three pages. Whatever it may be, you have to have some sort of goal. Otherwise, you'll just find yourself always coming up with a reason to to put it off one more day. And so I think that's probably the most important to find find your interest approach it from a different way uh but then find what works for you when you come to goal setting beautiful and talking about what works for us uh, we share a admiration for podcasts um anchor in education is yours tell us how what happens behind the scenes what is the purpose of this podcast how do you get it how do you get connected with people? You just invite them. Uh, uh, what should we know? What advice do you have for aspiring podcasters? Uh, well, if <laughs> so, I say if you're an aspiring podcaster, uh, definitely, definitely do it. But just know that there's a lot of work. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of work that goes into it. You know that you have some. Actually, I've learned quite a bit from you as far as getting things scheduled. Um, and everything like, like I'm going to start putting some of that into my practice. I love the, the scheduling system that you have out and the automatic emails that are generated with the reminders. Fabulous. Um, I will be, uh, stealing that idea. And But, I stole it from someone too. Perfect. Well, <laughs> and, and again, that, that's how we learn. It's a cycle, you know? right? A cycle yeah. of learning. Absolutely. And, and so I, I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, to briefly talk about podcasting because, It is something that I enjoy very much. Uh, my my father was a country music DJ for 25 years, and it was in the my first 18 years of my life that uh, that he was doing that. So I grew up in uh, radio stations. I grew up, you know, at when he had bands setting up that equipment. So like that that's of interest of me. And so I think the the thing to know is that like if somebody's watching a video. Um, and this, this is what I was, I was told and it rings true. Like if I'm watching a video on YouTube and the video quality is kind of like, uh, uh, you know, I'll suffer through it if the content's good. Um, but if they're listening to audio and the, the audio is not that great, it is, it's too easy to turn it off because you're only engaging on that one medium, the, the auditory, there's no visual with it. And so, um, Make sure that you have good quality in what you do, and and then put the time into learning the the guest or the topic or whatever your whatever the theme of your podcast is. Like, don't and and I say this because this is this is the mistake that I made when I first decided. Okay, I'm going to be a podcaster. You know, get the equipment, turn on the microphone, and then oh, I'm just going to record. And it was a hot mess of just you know what is what is what are they saying? And so, you know, like a lot of you know, script out notes and, you know, make, have an idea of what you're going to say. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, the, the time that goes in. So how do I, how do I get guests? Well, uh, so my podcast anchored in education, um, basically says that no matter, no matter what we're doing, no matter who we are in some way, we're anchored in education. You know, we've been through, uh, we've been through a school system, you know, even if it was a horrible experience, you know, even, even if the experience was so horrible that, you know, we, we dropped out and we maybe went back and got a GED late or something, 
you still are anchored in education. And from that bad experience, let's learn from you. Or maybe you had, um, maybe you had somebody that inspired you into teaching. I, I talk frequently. Anybody that has um, ever heard me speak knows that my first grade teacher, Mrs. Kazel, is the reason and the person who I shape. Um, you know, my approach just. I try to actually shape my approach to life um, around Mrs. Kazel. Um, 80 years old, retired at like 70, um, 71. And I just ran into her um, a couple weeks ago. And and just still, I mean, the same thing. But that that's neither, that's neither here nor there. But, um, you know, everybody is, is angered. So I just, I look for stories and uh, I look for articles. And if it engages me, if I want to find out more, I, I reach out to them and, and, you know, we, we go from there. So, but it's a, it's a lot of scheduling too. Like if you're going to do a um, guest based podcast, know that things will come up. Uh, For example, you know, we can share again, the, the issue on why we're delayed. I (laughs) I logged in and, you know, I was on the, the, the stream yard, it said backstage and I'm waiting and everything else. I'm like, You know, I, I can't believe it. I know I was pushing time, but I'm still a couple minutes early. And then I start looking like, oh, I'm an hour late because I'm in a different time zone. Yeah. And so know that, that that's going to happen with, with guests and have plans. Like I always sit on um, at least two or three uh, episodes that I've written that are just for me. And so mm. if something comes up, nothing is amiss in, yeah. in the podcast because consistency is the other thing that if you want to build an audience um you need to have a consistency and and so every monday new episodes are released i have kind of uh toyed around with changing the date but it would still only be uh once a week but the thing is no matter what it is it needs to be at that same time so then people are like oh it it, it's monday yes let's listen to anchored in education so absolutely absolutely yeah. no the the podcasting have fun great tool for research learning but also as an artistic endeavor right to mm-hmm. to share uh, your art to the world this has been such a great conversation scott anything else you would like to share with the listeners of the show um you know the the one thing i guess and and i think you had a, a brief note on it but uh, you know you can't you can't do everything that we talk about. You can't be a podcast. You can't be a writer. You can't be a, a a leader or a great educator if you don't look at practices that take care of yourself first. And and we hear it a lot. And you know, again, you know, some look at that like, oh, another person talking about self care, right? But but it is absolutely uh, so true. You know, I I share when I was superintendent. At 37 years old, I was on two blood pressure medications. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had always had great health before then. But that's what, you know, that's what the situation. And, and it was more. It's not the position. Don't don't get me wrong. It is not the superintendent position. It was many factors that, that was adding up. Because pre-pandemic, superintendent was the greatest thing ever. It, it really was. But, you know, just the different variables that was in the, the role I was in led to that but you know really taking care of yourself and so you know to tie it into also productivity like i started meal prepping you know i always kind of laughed like i think my one of my sisters might meal prep and you now i kind of laughing at 
at her like who who would do that and then i started doing it and now like there's no more bad decisions on like i'm going to eat out like if i'm eating out it's because i'm consciously deciding today i'm going to treat myself and and eat here but it's not a decision i'm making out of you know just forced because i i have the the meal prep so i think that that would be the number one thing that uh, that i would give as far as the the extra thing just take care of yourself find a way you know meal prep may not be it exercise may not be it you know if if taking care of yourself means sitting down on the couch and watching tiktok for 30 minutes as your way to want do it you know like don't don't care what other people are saying like if that is what your break is to take care of yourself do it so that that would be my final bit of advice because uh, we can't learn from you if you're not here to learn from <laughs> amen uh scott this has been amazing now we are a uh, connection forever uh yeah. so wise thank you for sharing all your recommendations uh i hope you have a fantastic saturday uh, i i plan on it. thank you so much for inviting me on and you know spoiler alert you'll be on anchored in education uh coming up down down the road here so we'll get that put together and we'll connect again Absolutely. Have a great day, everyone. Peace and calm. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Ebrahim Martinez. Chulu. And I love that production. Chulu out. <laughs> <laughs>